blessed to have you to enjoy the life that God has called us to. Well, we've been in the book of Genesis. We've been dealing with heroes of the faith. And uh, last week we dealt with uh, Abraham offering his son Isaac and uh, God receiving that sacrifice and providing in his holy hill. Today we're going to talk about Isaac's offspring. How many of you had grandparents that were Christians? Wow. Put your hands down. How many of you had parents that were Christians? This is great. Very often what happens in, in business and in the church is that the first generation who gets involved in something becomes very excited. They become very dedicated to the task. They roll their sleeves up. They dig in and they say, we're going to get this done. First generation Christians usually are the ones who help build a church. They help lift the church up on their shoulders. And sometimes a few of those Christian heroes, like J.D. Barefoot, just kind of strained beneath the load during those early days. And, and God came alongside with other heroes and, and the church became what it was. But often what happens is the second generation comes and they kind of ride on the coattails of their mamas and daddies. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's not that they don't like their church or even love their church. But it's, it's just that it's mom and daddy's church. Right? And they get along with the kids and they go to the youth group and they do the things that they're supposed to do. But it's not their church. And then very often what happens in the third generation, the grandkids have no idea why grandpa started rolling his sleeves up in the first place. Now, this works in business it works in, in certain activities of life, things that people focus on to do, but it specifically works in church. And in this case, Abraham was called from his home country, left Ur of the Chaldees, went to Haran. God called him out of there. He came down to Shechem. He offered a sacrifice. God said, I'm going to give it to you. And Abraham lived his days talking to God, walking with God, being with God. And then comes Isaac, and Isaac has a relationship with God. Matter of fact, he put his all on the altar, right? He actually allowed himself to be bound and laid down on the altar. But if you follow the life of Isaac, you will find God talking to him four or five times. As opposed to Abraham, God did many conversations Abraham was always carrying on this. Isaac less. And then you get to where Isaac had these babies. And my goodness. You know that song? God of our fathers. That was kind of the idea of 
those two kids born to Isaac. Let's read together. What what I want to talk to you about this morning is a God encounter. When God comes into our life, He changes what our life is. These boys, well, let me just read it to you, okay? Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless, and the Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her. That term jostled there is fighting, luchando, um, aggressively going at one another. And they jostled within her and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, two peoples. From within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other. The older will serve the younger. And when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red. And his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Harry. That's true. Esau means Harry. Right? So they called him Harry. His other name was Red. Right? Edom. So he had the name Esau and Edom. And so they, they called him Harry. They called him Esau. And after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. I don't know about you, but little babies do have grass features. But I have never seen one Hold on to the heel of another one after he came out of the womb. That boy was fired up about hanging on to his brother, wasn't it? And so they named him Heel Grabber. Jacob. And the term Heel Grabber in that society was, was like one who reached out of the bushes and grabbed the person by the heel. And tripped them up. It was a deceiver. It wasn't out in the open. Something that came kind of back door. So they called him Jacob or heel grabber deceiver. How'd you like to walk around with your whole life by the name of deceiver? He did live up to it. So Isaac was 60 years old. Boy. I'm 51. I don't think I could handle twins right now. Um, He was 60 years old when Rebecca gave birth to them. And the boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter. A man of the open country while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. But Rebecca loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country. Famished, she said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. And that's why he's also called Edom, red. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, man, I'm about to die. What good is a birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread 
and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak, he could no longer see. Now I'm changing chapters here. Matter of fact, let me just stop here. Keep this up, Ted. I'll come back to this in just a minute. First part of the story was the birth and the very first significant piece that happened in their world. And what I want you to understand is that when we are without God, when we are not putting God first and foremost in our lives, we become focused on things that really do not matter. You noticed in that family, it was very dysfunctional. You had a father who loved one son better than he loved the other. You had a mother who loved the other son better than she loved the first. And sometimes there are things that our children do that endear them to us. But this was deeper than that. This was two parents using two kids against one another for their own purposes and their own rewards. Little Red learned how to handle an arrow. Actually... <laughs> The, the term hairy for Esau means rough, as opposed to smooth is rough, right? So he had all this hair on him. When they rubbed him, it's it just like rubbing a dog rather than rubbing a baby, right? So he grew up in this, this culture where he was rough. He wanted to be in the rough. He wanted to stay out there where life was good and... He had skin like an animal, so he stayed out with the animals. And he loved to hunt, and his daddy loved the meat that he had. And his daddy said, that's my boy. The other one, kind of a mama's boy. Kind of hanging back around the house. Now, actually, Jacob was a shepherd. It just so happened that the family that he lived in were Bedouins. In other words, they traveled where their animals were. So he didn't have to take the animals out far. He just kind of hung around with the animals right around the house. And so he became a mama's boy. Mama loved him. Mama invested in him. Maybe something about his face reminded her of her family or whatever. And so all of their lives, they were against one another. Little Esau struggling for attention, little Jacob struggling for attention, and they were constantly doing this number, battling one another. See who could get mama's approval and daddy's approval. Well, one day, Esau came in, he had had an unsuccessful hunt. And after hunting for game, after being out there trying to catch the stuff that was wild, he came back in and he's like, I am starving. Vegetable soup with lentils, no less. Woo, that's got to be good. And so his belly started growling and he came in and he's like, give me some. What you going to give me? Huh? I mean, seriously. Bowl of soup, birthright. You, you understand what birthright is, right? Birthright meant that the oldest son had birthright, which meant that he got two-thirds of the father's estate. When the father died, they cut the estate in three pieces. 
The rest of the family got the little half. Third. And they got to divide it amongst the rest of the kids. The son, the oldest one, got two-thirds. Two portions. And so Jacob said, I would rather have double than half. Right? I'd rather have twice what he gets instead of having half what he gets. Therefore, I'm going to ask him to leave it to me. Now get this. It was a Bedouin family and the responsibility was to tend the sheep. So he wasn't really asking something too bizarre. Along with getting two-thirds of the family's estate and all that they owned, he got to carry on the family name and he had to provide for all of the servants and the widows and the kids and everybody else who was a part of his family. That was the birthright leader's responsibility. Esau didn't want it. He didn't want the responsibility. He was a free spirit. He wanted to go about his life, do his thing, have his own time. So he said, giving up the birthright for me? Not a problem. Sure. Take it. I don't want it anyway. And he ate his bowl of soup. And he got up with his belly filled and despised his birthright. Jacob, little heel grabber, Little deceiver, I got him. Only thing about it, the, the relationship that they had became worse. Sometimes I don't think we consider the decisions that we make in relationship to our relationships. We make them based on what's good for us in a moment, and we don't think beyond the moment. Neither one of them were thinking beyond the moment. Jacob thinking at that moment, I get to win the bigger picture. But I may have a brother who's very strong and angry come back at me to take my life. Esau, you know what? I got what I wanted. I got my bowl of soup. Now let's move on. Let's do something else. So he hated it. Later on, Isaac was old. His eyes were so weak that he could no longer see. So he called for Esau, his older son. And he said to him, my son, here I am. Isaac answered. Go out to the open country and hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you a blessing before I die. Now, y'all know the story. Isaac went out to hunt. Rebecca overheard it. She overheard the daddy talking to the son. And she said to to her other son, Jacob, Quick, go get this stuff on. Go put on these clothes of your brothers. Go get these skin garments and put on your arms. Go smell like the outdoors. We're going to get your father's blessing. Now, you have to understand something. To them, a blessing was not bless you. Blessing meant a lot. Because it carried lifelong significance. When you were blessed by a father or blessed by a grandfather, it was something that the statement they made about you became your life focus. It became the ideas by which you governed yourself the rest of your life. And so what happened? Esau goes out. He's got a hunt. 
Jacob goes in. Mama quickly prepares a meal. And she has probably has some pieces of game that have been left over. Or some old gamey type food. And she seasoned it up and made it so that her husband would think it was right. And then she, she gave it to her son and had him take it back in and give it. And so Jacob walks in and, and he hands it to his daddy. And he, and he talks to his daddy. And his daddy's like, whoa, whoa. Deceiver, is that you? Come here. Let me feel. Well, your arms feel like it. Come here, let me smell. Well, you smell like Esau. Let me taste food. Well, it tastes like Esau's food. And so he gave him the blessing. And basically the blessing was this, that he would rule over his brother. Deceiver. Twisted life. Got it the way that he wanted it. And as in result, when Esau came back in to get his blessing, he cried. His dad cried. And Jacob was put on the run. Dysfunctional. Dysfunctional because the focus of the family was not on what God wanted. You see, even before the child was born, God knew who was to get the birthright. Even before the children came into this world, God knew who would rule over whom. God doesn't make mistakes. But we, when we get into our human understanding and decide, okay, we're going to fix this. We're going to do this. We're going to take this. We're going to make this this way. All we do is mess up our relationship with everybody else. Ultimately, God's plan will be completed. It's just that we're going to suffer for it. And man, did they suffer. Did you know that Jacob, when he left there to leave, to go to Bananaram to find a wife, never saw his mother again? Can you imagine the last conditions that you see your mother on? She cheats to get you something that she wants for you and you never have an opportunity to even thank her or to deal with that in a proper way. So, the deceiver leaves. His brother is angry. His brother's like, I'll get it if it's the last thing I do. I will take his life. Esau goes. Decides he's going to leave, go back out in the wilderness, wait. The deceiver goes on up to Padanaram, and there, you know the story of Rachel and Leah, Laban, Rachel's father, Leah's father. Now, here's the thing Laban um, was part of Rebecca's family, brother in law. And so, it must have been genetically keyed that way. Because if you think, if you think Jacob was a deceiver, Laban. Laban had his number. Ended up making Jacob work for him for 20 years. Changed his wages 10 times in 20 years. 
Because every time that, that Jacob would do something, God would bless him. And uh, Laban would be like, oh no, you're getting too much. Let me, let me adjust your wages. Right? Well, on the way up there, to go to Laban, to, to meet with him, he's running from Esau, and he, and he comes to this place. Well, let's just read the passage of Scripture. How about that? He says, Genesis 28, verse 11 through 15. It says, when Jacob reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and he lay down to sleep. I don't know about you, but I've never found a stone that has made a good pillow. Just never found one. They all seem to be a little hard. But he found one that would work. Must have had a hard head. Taking one of the stones, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. When he, and he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth, which its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on the stairway. Clomp, clomp, clomp. I don't know what it was. I mean, his angels going up and down, right? And he looked up at the top of the stairs. There above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. And then he gave him a promise. He said, I will give to you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east to the north and to the south. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through your offspring. Why is God doing this to a deceiver? Because he had promised grandpa. Y'all realize something? Some of you are only here because your Christian parents and grandparents prayed that wall of protection around you. It's not because you deserve mercy. It's not because you deserve grace. It's because God made a promise to your grandma. And so he gives the promise to Jacob. And he said, I'll watch over you. I am with you. I will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone that he had placed under his head and he set it up as a pillar. And he poured oil on top of it and he called that place Bethel, which means house of God. Though the city used to be called Luz. And Luz, for those of you that speak uh, a romantic language, no, that means light. So it wasn't too far off, you know. God is light, and this is the house of God. Well, God was there, and he made a promise to him. Then Jacob responded with a vow. If God be with me, and watch over me on this journey I am taking, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then. Now, you know you have made a vow if you use an if-then principle. Lord, if you bring me out of this, then I will take care of this. 
Look what he said. Then the Lord will be my God. He's still using a little bit of that deceiver mentality. Right? He's still trying to use... I talked to you last week about God being that token in your pocket. You can get out and use whatever you want to. Basically what he's saying, if God gives me what I want and what I need, then he will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And then he made a promise. Pretty fantastic promise. Because tithing was not yet a principle that had been instilled in the hearts of the people. However, Grandpa Abraham had been a tither. 10% of everything I have belongs to God. Because God has promised to take care of me. If He does it, then I will give Him this. He will be my God. This will be God's house. And I will give Him a tenth. Well, he went on to Laban. He worked the 20 years, had his wages changed 10 times, acquired two wives. Sometimes we look at that and we say, that's not fair. He wanted Rachel. And he got Leah. But you know what? Leah was the mother of Judah. Guess who came from Judah? Jesus. You think God makes mistakes? You think he was there in Haran for 20 years because of his stubbornness? Well, maybe that was part of it. But I think God had a plan. A big old whopping plan that entailed making him a nation. He had almost all of his kids while he was there or on his way out. Twelve boys and a girl. That's a big family. That's two basketball teams with a substitute for each one. However you want to cut it, it's big enough for a football team. But in the midst of all of that, God blessed him. He, he kind of did a little devious thing from time to time because he had not yet been totally transformed. Now, there are lots of people out there that have a um, problem with this story. Lots of atheists who really struggle with this concept. But, but he took three different types of tree branches because his father-in-law, at the end of his time, he was trying to build his own herds, and he told his father-in-law, he said, I tell you what, I'll only take animals that are born spotted. In other words, that are dual color. If they're all white, you can have them. If they're all black, you can have them. But I'll take all of the spotted ones. And his father-in-law said, fine, remove all the spotted ones from the herd. Take them away. So he had to start at zero. Right? And God showed him in a dream what to do. Tree branches. He cut rings around them, put them in the water. When the couple, the sheep and the goats were coming that were multi, what I'm saying multicolored, one was dark and the other one was light. And then when the dark one and the light one would breed with one another, when they came into these stakes that had these rings on them, 
they would produce offspring that was multicolor instead of one select color. And people just blew their, I mean, they were blowing their mind. This cannot be. It's genetics that determines color. Only just recently, about four years ago, there was a genetic researcher doing some work and he found this, this chemical that could be present during the times when animals were copulating, that if that chemical was present, their offsprings, the color of their offspring would change. It was not genetic. It did not carry on to future generations. It was specifically for that generation. Now, it's been 4,000 years. Since then, we didn't know about it until just a few years ago. He was cutting around these plants and releasing this chemical that when they ate the chemical, it was changing. And he built up a herd that was phenomenal. I mean, huge. His father-in-law was so frustrated when he finally got to the place, the brothers were like, what is going on? He's going to take all of our Resources, all of the cattle, all of the donkeys, all of the mules, all everything he's going to take. We're losing our fortune. And he overheard it and decided he probably better get out of Dodge. So he told his wives what was going on. And so they, they prepared to leave. And he took out, ran over the countryside. And after he got a little ways away, Laban figured out he was gone. Comes charging out after him. And the night before Laban confronted him, God said, do not speak to Jacob in a harsh way, either positively or negatively. Let it go. So Laban came in and he said, I ain't happy with you. But God said I had to let it go. And therefore, I'm going to let it go. And, and Jacob's like, you know what? I, I worked for you for this long and I, I got this daughter. And then I worked for you for this long. I got this daughter. Now I've had to work for another six years for the sheep. And I've done all this stuff. And his father-in-law said, look, everything around you belonged to me. If you're wealthy, it's because God made you wealthy with my stuff. But I'm not supposed to say anything. However, somebody stole my God's. He had idols. And uh, Rachel decided that she wanted to take them. And so she took them and she put them amongst her stuff. And the father came out and when he proclaimed what was going on, she became very fearful. And she took all those idols and she threw them under the saddle of her donkey and or her camel. And she sat down on top of the saddle. Father came in and He's searching all the tents because Jacob said, if you find the person who stole this, you can kill him. He didn't know she had him. Nobody but her knew. She was the one, the only one that knew she had him. And she's sitting down and her dad comes in the tent. And, you know, she's the baby. She's kind of the spoiled one anyway. And she said to her father, please excuse me. It's my time of the month. I can't get up. And so he said, okay. And so she got away with the gods. 
and they took him with them. Well, Jacob, he had, after his father-in-law left, he packed everything up and started on out. And all of a sudden, as he's going back in toward his father's country again, toward Canaan, he has to cross the area where his brother lives. Harry Red. Esau. What am I going to do with that big hairy monster when he comes? And Jacob is getting scared. So he devises this plan. I'm going to divide my all of my wealth up into two things. I'll put one group over here, one group over here, and I'll let them go out at different times in different directions. And that way, if he decides to attack one of them, only half of my wealth will be gone. And then he packed his wife and his kids and his personal servants over, and, and he sent them across the river, and he stayed back here and, and just trembling inside. And that night, God came. And God didn't just come. God wrestled with him. Here's what he says. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that the hip was wrenched as he wrestled the man. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I've been doing what Jacob did. My hips feel like that maybe God's just pushed it out of socket. Then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you, unless you bless me. The man said to him, what's your name? Jacob, he replied. The man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. In, in Jacob's defense, by the way, Israel means man who wrestled with God. In, in Jacob's defense, he was, he was overpowered. He was struggling with this fear that was gripping him. And here was God right in his presence and he was holding on to him and struggling with him. And it wasn't that God couldn't have broken free. You know, God could have done that. His whole body would have fallen apart, right? But it was because God wanted Jacob to come to know him personally, intimately, even if it meant struggling with him. Can I tell you something? God would rather you talk to him and tell him, no, I don't like this. I hate what I'm going through. Please. He would rather you do that than he would you to shut up and walk away. Yes. Because when you're talking to God, God has the ability to talk back to you. When you're running, you're not listening to anybody or anything. You're just kind of blocking it out. So here he goes. Israel, man who struggled with God because you have struggled with God and with humans and overcome them. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him. So Jacob called this place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face. Peniel means face of God. And yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him. He passed Peniel and was limping because of his hip. Get what happened next. Here is a man who had been a serious deceiver all of his life. But when God touched him, it transformed his world. 
When he crossed over the river, went back to be with his family, he sent some people on ahead with gifts for his brother. But he told his family, y'all stay back here. I'm going out to meet my brother. And here his brother is with 400 soldiers, fighting men. And guess what happened? It was a joyous greeting. Esau's like, brother, where have you been? What's been going on? And Jacob's like, I have been over here and this, and it's good to see you, and blah, blah, blah. Hmm. His life had been transformed. His brother said, walk with me. He said, no, no, I can't walk with you. My, my women and children, are, they're too slow. But you go on ahead. I'll someday come to visit you. So down he went. Esau went down to Seir and and Jacob went on up over toward a place called Succoth, which means booths. And there he, he watered his cattle. And he kind of, it's right there by the place Shechem. You remember Shechem where Abraham offered that offering to the Lord? Right there next to Shechem. And he, he hung around Shechem. Unfortunately, Shechem was the world. Shechem had all of the thrills and attractions, the things that suck people in away from their relationship with God. And while Jacob didn't actually, or Israel now, didn't actually lose most of his family, he got in trouble because one of the guys from the town, one of the important guys from the town, wanted to marry his daughter. It was a horrible situation. They had other gods. They did other things. Their families were mingling now, living in the same area, doing the same things, not distinguishing themselves as followers of God. And so what happened was the boys are like, no, 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 you can't marry our sister. You're uncircumcised. Well, tell us what has to happen. We'll be circumcised. Well, here's what has to happen. And so they took the, the, the guy who wanted to marry her, wanted to marry her so bad, he went back into the town. He told the whole town, we got to get circumcised. And they're like, what? But he convinced them. And so what happened was they, they, all the town, all the men of the town were circumcised. Now, on day three, the pain is worse than at any other time. And so on day three, Jacob's family, the brothers, went through and slew every man in the town to protect the honor of their daughter or their sister Dinah. From the time that God spoke to him at Peniel, we don't hear of God speaking him to him again until after this instant. And then God said to him, Jacob... Go up to Bethel. You settle there. Build an altar there to God. Who appeared to you. When you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household. And to all who were with him. Get rid of your foreign gods. Get rid of the stuff. That you're not supposed to have. Get rid of the stuff. That makes you just like everybody else in this world. Purify yourselves. Change your clothes. Straighten out your act. Be the man that God's called you to be. Hmm. 
then come, let us go to Bethel. Even before you go to Bethel, you get rid of the gods. You change your clothes before you go. You take a bath before you go. You clean yourself up before you go. We're not going to worship our God with this filth on us. We've just murdered a bunch of people. We have blood on our hands. We have been, we've taken the gods from Laban back up in Haran and we've kept them with us all this time. We are a corrupt people. We are not doing what God said to do. And I made a vow back then that I would serve the God of my father and my grandfather. Therefore, we will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. He's saying, God honored the vow. I haven't. Let's go honor it. And so they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had. They took the rings out of their ears. And Jacob did not sell them. He did not try to repurpose them. He did not try to put them for God's glory in something else. He buried them under the oak at Shechem. Then they set out. And what happened? They had just slaughtered the town. All the villages around, all the people that were around them had to be very, very angry that this group, this family had destroyed these people in Shechem. But everybody became scared to death to even follow them so that no one pursued them. Do you know why? It wasn't because they slaughtered those men when they were circumcised. The terror set in because they threw away their foreign gods and committed to serve the one true God. You want to be protected from the evil one? God transforms when we pour ourselves into His kingdom. When we submit all of the stuff that we have into His hand and let Him do what needs to be done. So Jacob returned from Padanaram. God appeared to him again and blessed him and said, Your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. You will be called Israel. So he named him Israel, and God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will be from among your descendants. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you. And I will give you this land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at the place where he talked to him. And Jacob set up a stone pillar at that place where God had talked to him. And he poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured out oil on it. And, the God, and Jacob called the place where God had talked to him. It says Bethel, but it really was El Bethel. The God of the house of God. Here's, here's the difference. Bethel is the house of God. El Bethel is the God of the house. So here's the story. Do you just come to the house of God? Or do you permit God to be housed in you? As El Bethel, the God of the house of God. 
Big story. Lots of pieces to it. The key points are this for us, folks. When we seek the face of God, he changes us. Maybe we're here, and as I looked out over this group, I think about 80% of you had family members that had been Christians, grandparents and parents. And I am amazed at that. That's awesome. Maybe you're here today because of them, but you should not continue to be here just because he was the God of your parents. He must become El Bethel, the God of your house, the God of your life. There is nothing that you have that you can't take to him. There is no circumstance, there is no situation, there is no difficulty that God cannot handle, including Big, red, hairy monsters. Who are also your brother. God has a plan for your life. But for you to experience it fully, you got to get rid of those foreign gods. You got to take away the thing that tie you to the patterns of this world and let him change your name and change your character because it's no longer you who live but Christ who lives in you.